Father, thank you so much for the wonderful cross of Jesus Christ, that you have drawn us to yourself, that you allow us to gather by your grace to worship you. I pray, Father, as we dive into your word tonight, and, and we're going to take these chapters fairly quickly, that you would just give us grace to focus on the things that we need to focus on, that your spirit would speak, and that we would have hearts and ears to listen to. May you be glorified in this time, in Jesus' name, amen. So as we go through this, it's important for us to know that we are not going to read a lot of chapters 11 through 21. Throughout these chapters, we will see many of the places, borders, land allotments, etc., that are given to the nation of Israel. This is wonderful for us to know. It's there for a reason. As it is a testimony to the work of God in fulfilling his promises to the nation of Israel. And we're going to talk about that a little later. However, I am not going to make you listen to me read each and every name and place in here. Because um, I will mispronounce most of them. And it would take a really long time. And it really wouldn't be all that fruitful for us to do. So I have prepared a series of maps on the PowerPoint. And when we get to an area, instead of reading all the names, we will glance over the section and be able to point it out on the map. I'll just go like this because I'm not going to turn around every time. And uh, if you're joining us online, we do need to get me a laser pointer. But if you're joining us online, or perhaps you're listening to the recording of this later, I would highly recommend you either check to see if there are good maps in your Bible or look them up online. You can just Google like the, the, the conquest of Canaan by Israel or the conquest of Canaan by Joshua or maps from the book of Joshua, something like that. And you will find all kinds of very interesting maps. I sorted through them and picked out the ones. Uh, well, I had some in my Bible software and then there was a couple that I wanted that I couldn't find in my software, so I Googled them. We will stop in a few places along the way to focus on some important aspects that are contained in these chapters. Uh, we finished off the Southern Conquest in chapter 10. So chapter 11 picks up with the Northern Conquest, verse 1. And it came to pass, when Jabin king of Hazor heard these things, that he sent to Jobab, king of Madon, to the king of Shimron, on and on and on. And they came out against Israel, and in verse 10, Joshua turned back at the time, took Hazor, struck his king with a sword, for Hazor was formerly the head of all the kingdoms. And they struck all the people that were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazor with fire. Now, I make that point, because that's all we're going to read of the first 15 verses. Basically, Joshua went out to battle against Hazor and a few other nations. And this launched into the conquest of the northern territory of Israel. Uh, what's interesting, and the reason I bring up verse 11, is because it says he burned Hazor with fire. If you keep reading, you'll find out all the other cities that they conquered in the northern conquest, they did not burn. They only burned Hazor. Remember, as they, they killed the inhabitants, they then took the cities for themselves. So it didn't make any sense to burn them all down and then have to rebuild them. Um, archaeologists, when excavating and exploring the tell of Hazor, discovered a layer of ashes because Hazor was burned with fire. 
So it gives us some really neat archaeological evidence. Um, verse 16 through the end of the chapter. Oh, I need map one, please. Verse 16 through the end of the chapter, they did that. I don't know how well you can see that map. Um, but it shows the routes they took on the northern conquest of Israel. Is that helpful? There is something on the queue that would tell you what each line represents. Um, I'm, I'm old and I can't see it from this far away. And it's like 20 feet in the air. Um, like I said, good Bible map. Uh, feel free. Uh, you're welcome to go up there and look. So yeah, the arrows are the route they took. So if you read all of chapter 11, the routes that are up there are described for you and the various cities that are uh, pinpointed, which are really hard to see. I guess I should have put it up on the screen before I just said, oh, you'll be, you guys will be fine. It looked great on my laptop when I was two feet away. Um, but yeah, those are the, that's the, the, the route they took. Now, one thing I do want to point out is verse 20. Because verse 20 says, For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded them. So remember, the inhabitants of Gibeon made peace, but nobody else did. All the other nations just decided, all right, we're going to try to take out Israel before they take us out. And the Lord hardened their heart into us. Remember when we were in the book of Exodus, just like with Pharaoh, the Lord confirmed them in their decision, right? Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. They had chosen to follow idols. They had chosen to follow these detestable practices, and God was sending Israel in to judge these people for these practices, and so God hardened them in the choice that they had already made so that they would go to war. Now we get up to verse 23. It says, And Joshua took the whole land, according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to the divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. So the chronological order of Joshua is suspended for um, the next 10 chapters. In the next 10 chapters, we will see the details of how the land was allotted, right? Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. That's what's now going to be described in detail over the next 10 chapters, uh, much of which we are going to scoot right by. Could you go to the next map? Chapter 12 picks up, these are the kings of the land whom the children of Israel defeated and whose land they possessed on the other side of the Jordan. So these are the kings conquered by Moses, Sihon and Og, king of the land, their land. These were given to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. I'll have another map a little bit later that'll show that again. Uh, you could go to the next map. In chapter, or verses 7 through 24, we have a list of all the kings conquered by Joshua. And so basically what that is, is the extent of the conquest, all the land that is in the greenish area, is all that they conquered. And if I remember correctly, it says in verse something or other, 31, yeah, you were whispering that to me, thank you. 
um, that there were 31 kings in all. And they had great names like um, Jarmuth and Lachish and Iguan and Gezer and uh, probably Gezer, but I want to call him Gezer, and Orma and Arad and Libna and Lasheron. And this is why we're not reading all of this. <laughs> chapter 13. Now, don't go to the next slide just yet. Because chapter 13 opens with, Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. Now, through a careful search of the internet, I was able to find a picture of Joshua old and advanced in years. Larry the Cucumber. It's not really Joshua. I have been waiting six days since I found that picture to do this. Um, no, that's not really Joshua. Uh, but basically what that means that Joshua was old and stricken or advanced in years is, I mean, he was in his, uh, at least in his 80s, because Caleb was in his 80s. Joshua may have even been older than Caleb, so he may have been in his 90s or even pushing triple digits at this point. He had spent several years, right? It, it, it lists it for us pretty quickly, but the conquest of Canaan didn't happen in a week. And he had spent a lot of time going out to battle, leading the children of Israel into battle. And I can only imagine that that would take your toll on you. It turned him into a cucumber. Okay, it didn't. Um, you can go on to the next map because in verses, uh, the next couple of verses, this is the land that yet remains, the territory of the Philistines, of uh, the Jeshurites, Sihor, so on and so forth. And so what you'll see on this map, now the green is the area yet to be conquered. The red is the area they had, and the green was the area yet to be conquered. That was all land that was supposed to be given, or the, not supposed to be, that God had given to the children of Israel. And as you read... Right? How many times as you read the Bible did they have problems with the Philistines? Did they ever kick them out of the land? No. Right? They never stepped into all that God had for them. In verses 8 through 14, we have the land divided east of Jordan for the next map. So that one's much clearer for uh, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh that stayed on the east side of the Jordan. Um, and then what you'll see in that picture, and we'll have a few others, is that there was the land of Reuben, the land of Gad, the, the half-tribe half of Manasseh. That's what's described for us in verse 15 through 33. I am, again, going to spare you the description of their borders, and we're going to move on to chapter 14. Now, chapter 14, we're actually, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. Uh, it's a short chapter, but in chapter 14, verse 1, it tells us how they did this. These are the areas of the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as, a as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. Uh, don't worry, we're going to get to all the cities they get, but that they don't actually get an inheritance of land. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. 
And they gave no heart to the Levites in the land except the cities of the dwelling in their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So this is the scene, right? You got Eleazar the high priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and then you have the heads of the fathers of the tribes. So you really only had nine or ten people because it was a half tribe of Manasseh, but they came, so there's only about 13 people standing around, and they said, all right, we're going to deal with this plot of land. And they cast the dice of the lot. And the lot fell on Manasseh, or the half-tribe of Manasseh. All right, this is where you go. And Judah, then, and, and this is going to go on for the next five chapters. So we're not going to, again, not going to read it all, but it'll give you the picture. So Judah steps up, they cast the lot. These are your borders, go get it. Right? Ephraim steps up, they cast the lot. These are your borders, go get it. And, and that is essentially a summary of uh, the rest of what we would be reading tonight. But that just gives you an idea of how they did this. Now, verse 6 through 15 we're going to read. Can I have the next map, please, sir? Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. What a great testimony. I wish I could say that I have wholly followed the Lord my God. I know there have been times where I have not, but Caleb could say it. So Moses swore on that day, verse 9, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Now Moses gives him that testimony. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said these 45 years. So that will give us really the clue. They were 40 years before they entered the land. So at this point, they've been conquering the land for give or take five years. This makes, um, well, it's going to say it in a minute, this makes Caleb 85, and we don't know if Joshua was older or younger. So imagine being in your 80s and spending five years on foot going to war. I can imagine that would turn anyone into a cucumber. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, he said these 45 years. I already read that. Uh, Ever since the Lord spoke his word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day. 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. Joshua blessed him and gave gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. So this is the path he took. He goes up there, and essentially this hill country of Hebron that's right in the middle there, Right? And he actually took you to your tool. We'll see that in a little bit. That was his land. Now, I like Caleb. 
Notice some of the things that he says in here. Well, he's 85. This is the land that he spied out when Moses sent out the 12 spies. What was the problem? That's where the giants were. That's where the biggest fortified cities were. Caleb says, I don't care that I'm 85. I want my land. I don't care that there's giants there. I think the Lord is going to be with me. So give it to me. I don't care that there's fortified cities there. Moses said I could have it. Let me have it. Reminds me of the scene in Lord of the Rings. In the two towers, let's see how long it takes Hannah to get the scene. Two of the main characters, characters Aragorn and Gimli, go out this secret side door while this huge army is approaching the, the gate of Helm's Deep. And they look around the corner, and there's all these nasty-looking Urukai soldiers. And Gimli goes, Ooh, we can take them! <laughs> That's what I hear when Caleb goes, when Caleb goes, give me the land. I know there's giants there. I can take them. I know there's fortified cities. I can take them. Moses said I could have this land. Give it to me. He trusted God 45 years earlier, and he told the people then, no, 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 we can take them. And here he is 45 years later, 85 years old, and he says, Joshua, you know what Moses said. It's mine, and I want it. And we'll see in chapter 15 that he goes and gets it. So we pick up in chapter 15, and it starts with the land given to Judah, the, ne the next map, good sir. Um, and so the first 12 verses outlines the map given to Judah. This is kind of all the tribes, so you'll be able to see where they're at. Simeon kind of gets stuck in the middle of Judah, if you look at that. Eventually, Simeon was kind of just absorbed by Judah because of the way that their, their land was situated right in the middle there. Um, in verses 13 through 19 of chapter 15, Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord. Uh, and so Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak. So there were th still three giants left. This is verse 14. Shishai, Ahaman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly, the name of Debir was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give that girl, Aksa, my daughter, his wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, so this was his nephew, took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, his wife. Now it was so, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? She answered, give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Very, very cool. So he goes up, kills the three giants that are left over. He comes to this next city. Whoever can take it gets my daughter. Othniel looks over at this girl and he goes, that's worth my life. And he goes after the city. But he doesn't die. He takes it. He gets the girl. The girl says, hey, can I have some water while you're at it? And dad says, of course, baby, whatever you want. That's the message Bible. Um, but she gets it. Now in verse 20 through 63, which we're, we're not going to look at, there is a very long list of all the cities in the territory of Judah. Uh, one thing you would note if you read all 43 of those verses is that the city of Jerusalem is not among them. 
Judah did not take Jerusalem during the conquest of the land. We talked about this before. They did not take Jerusalem, or Israel didn't get Jerusalem until under David's rule. So even under Saul's rule, even under all the judges, they never took Jerusalem. Uh, under David's rule, David conquered Jerusalem. Uh, and actually, the way he did it is there was a water uh, tunnel. It's kind of interesting. Eventually, Hezekiah uh, mined a tunnel because it was through rock to bring water under the city walls in case Jerusalem was ever sieged. Before that, what they actually did was they had, a, a, I don't know what the word for it would be, because it wouldn't be a well, but it was a shaft. I guess that would be a word that went down to a spring of water so they could bring water up by buckets. Joab climbed up that shaft at night, got in and got the gates open so David and his army could get in. Um, but we'll get that in 2 Samuel, if I remember correctly. Chapter 16, you ready? In uh, the 10 verses that comprise chapter 16 are all the land given to Ephraim and Manasseh. It's still the same map but it's the land given on that side, on the west side of Jordan, uh, to Ephraim and Manasseh. You'll see that Ephraim's kind of that little purpley area in the middle. Manasseh got quite the big plot of land. Chapter 17, all 18 verses of chapter 17 are more of the land that's given to Manasseh and more of the land that are given to Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh, so if you look at the map right there, that is basically what is described in chapter 17. Chapter 18. I told you we'd go quick. Chapter 18. Can I have the next map, please, sir? Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua. So the children of Joseph would, of course, be Ephraim and Manasseh. No, that's chapter, that was chapter 17. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled, assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. And there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go throughout the land, survey it according to the inheritance, and come back to me, and they shall divide it into seven parts. Uh, and it goes on from there. So, the tabernacle is set up in Shiloh, and so uh, Shiloh there is smack dab. Well, that's not true. Shiloh is in kind of the northeastern portion of Ephraim. That was the first place the tabernacle was set up in the land, um, and that becomes more important as we get into the book of Judges that it's there because it returns the, the Shiloh and things that are going on in Shiloh, even all the way up into 1 Samuel. Uh, a lot of stuff will happen up there, but that gives you kind of an idea of where it's at. But Joshua looks at these seven tribes and goes, what are you doing? I've told you where your borders are. Why haven't you gone to get your land? They were just kind of hanging out in Shiloh by the tabernacle, hanging out with Joshua, hanging out with all the other, right, all seven tribes. They were just kind of, they were chilling, right? What was it, two million people, a million and eight? I don't know, right? At least three million people went into the land. So if seven out of the nine and a half tribes or even if you did seven out of 12, it's still over half, at least a million and a half people. They're sitting there. Joshua goes, I've given you the land. It's been divided. You know what your borders are. Go get it. In verses five through 10, he cast lots for the remaining land. 
uh, the end of the chapter. We'll get there in just a moment. But, um, and this is a great question for all of us. Just like they had the Gibeonites among them, and Judah didn't get rid of them, and then you have the Jebusites in Jerusalem, which becomes a huge problem for them. We'll see that all in the book of Judges. All of this became a stumbling block for them. But the question is, why don't you go get what God has given you? Now, I ask that question knowing full well that I am one of those seven tribes too. I know that there are things God wants for me. I know that there are aspects of who I am as a person that do not always please him. I know, uh, just like anybody else, I'm still a sinner. That's not an excuse, it's just the truth. And I think the question that Joshua asks is a question we have to ask ourselves. Why? Is it because I'm comfortable in my sin? Is it because I don't want to go through the pain of growing into what God wants for me? Is it because I'm lazy? Is it because... Right? Dot, dot, dot. You've got to enter your own reason. But God wants to do great things in all of our lives. God has created us uniquely to be the person that he had envisioned when he made us. And he knows what that looks like. And what keeps us from it. It's not him. He doesn't hold us back from it. He had already given them the land. They just had to go take it. He's already given us everything he wants for us. And now there may be some tiny issues and growing to do. And so I'm not saying if, you know, if you're perfect tomorrow, you'll get everything because you're not going to be perfect tomorrow. But what I'm saying is, is God wants us to walk into the victory that is ours. Now in verses 11 through 28, we have the land for given to Benjamin. So the next map, sir. Um, it just goes back to this map. Uh, and then in chapter 19, so I have the next map. I just kind of like that one. I thought the colors were a little more cra- uh, contrasting. Uh, so the end of chapter 18 is the land of Benjamin. Chapter 19, we have Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan. And then in the last couple verses, we have Joshua's inheritance in Ephraim. Now, the reason I say that, can you go to the next map? I think I missed one in my notes. No, go back. Uh, In Ephraim is where Joshua, in the last couple verses of chapter 19, you have Joshua's inheritance in Ephraim. Um, uh, uh, Verse 49, when they made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath Sarah, in the mountains of Ephraim. And he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the inheritance which Eliezer the priest, Joshua, the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Now, here's the problem. Try as I might. I could not find a map of Timnath Sarah. Right? I, I just, well, I take that back. I do know where it's at, so I'm going to point it out kind of. 
Um, but the reason I couldn't find it is the map that I found um, was super blurry and turned out really bad. Uh, so what I did is I put this map up here, and if you look at the word Ephraim, Timnasera would be right under the R, give or take, which is where Joshua settled. So you have Hebron a little bit to the south where Caleb settled, then you have Timnasera, so a little bit northwest of Bethel, uh, which is where Joshua settled. So we get to chapter 20. You never, here you guys, 11 chapters. It's not going to happen. Oh, it's happening. <laughs> chapter 20. In the first nine verses, you can go to the next map, good sir. In the, fir oh, there it is. In the first nine verses of chapter 20, they rehash the law concerning the cities of refuge. Uh, and remember, the cities of refuge were for a person who unintentionally killed somebody. So someone who committed manslaughter instead of murder. Two people are going out to chop wood. I swing, you know, I, I swing my axe back to, to bring a stroke down on the log I'm working on. The axe head flies off, hits Aaron in the head, and, and Aaron's gone. And, uh, you, you know, but Aaron's really good friends with, with Adam. So Adam decides he's going to be the avenger of blood, and he starts chasing me. Now, I run to a city of refuge. Once I get in there, the elders will, will basically give me a trial and go, oh, no, 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 this was an accident. So I can stay in the city of refuge, and Adam can't kill me. Now, let's say we went out to chop wood, and, you know, Aaron was mouthing off to me, so when he wasn't looking, I hit him in the head on purpose with the axe. Adam finds out, chases me to a city of refuge. The elders give me a trial. Oh, no, 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 this was on purpose. They throw me outside the city, and Adam gets to kill me as the avenger of blood. But the whole purpose of the city of refuge was for the unintentionally, if you unintentionally killed somebody. And so we've read about this before. It's been reviewed several times. And they established six cities. They are the green dots on this map. Uh, Kadesh, Shechem, Kirjath Arba, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. Two on the east side of the Jordan, or three on the east side of the Jordan, three on the west side of the Jordan. And I don't know how well you can see the green dots, but if you look at them, south, central, north. So they were arranged in such a way that anybody could get there, theoretically. Unless, I mean, if it was me and Aaron was the one chasing me, he'd probably catch me and kill me before I got to the city of refuge. The other way around, Aaron's probably going to get there before I catch him, so. Uh, uh, but they did that on purpose, and if you remember back from Deuteronomy, uh, the Levites, because the cities of refuge were cities where the Levites lived, uh, the Levites had to maintain the roads into the cities of refuge so that a person could flee there without obstruction if indeed they were innocent. Now I do want you to notice verse 2 of chapter 20. Speak to the children of Israel saying, appoint for yourselves cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. This means the first five books of Moses were written down because the cities of refuge are mentioned in multiple of the first five books. So, and you do have to remember, of course, from our perspective, it's multiple books. For them, it was one scroll. Genesis through Deuteronomy was one book. Uh, but whatever the case was, it was written down for them, and they were expected to know and follow God's word. 
keep in mind also, the cities of refuge are a picture of Jesus Christ because he is our refuge. We flee to him for refuge. It's in him that we're safe. It's in him that we're a safe. It's in him that we abide. And it's in him that we're safe. Uh, John 15 speaks to that. Now, chapter 21. We've made it through 10 chapters of the Bible in 32 minutes. We're going to spend a little bit of time here as we close. Uh, not in the first 42 verses. We have another map. Um, here, the dots in red are the cities of refuge. All the green dots are once again, these are all the cities given to the Levites. 48 cities in all. Remember, the Levites would receive no inheritance in the land, for the Lord was their inheritance. So six of them were, mentioned, uh, were cities of refuge that we just talked about. Um, and the three families of Levi, Kohath, Merari, and Gershon, were then given 48 cities uh, and 1,000 cubits of land around each city for their animals to graze on. But they were not given an inheritance in the land because the Bible tells us the Lord was their inheritance. Pretty good deal, if you ask me. But they split it up evenly among the tribes, so each of the tribes had to give up X number of cities. And so if you read uh, chapter 21, the first 42 verses, that's what you'll discover. Now, there's one thing I want to note. Actually, there's two things. The first thing I want to note is that Aaron and Moses were from Kohath. That was their family. The Levites were from uh, uh, the, family, uh, the families of Levi, Kohath, Merari, and Gershon. Aaron and Moses were from Kohath. But they were not given special treatment or inheritance. They were still given an even number of these cities. Also, also, wow. Also, Joshua. I am, there you go. Also, Joshua did not set up a special inheritance for his descendants, although he could have, but he didn't. And I appreciate that because Moses, Aaron, Joshua, they kept a level of equality among the tribes. Also worth noting that if you were to look at this map closely and then pay really close attention to the cities that were given to Kohath, all the, city, all the, the cities of Kohath were near Jerusalem, where the temple would eventually be. Now, the tabernacle's in Shiloh, but 100, 150 years, the temple would be in uh, it's longer than that. It's more than that. Four, I, I'm trying to think of how long the book of Judges is. I think it's 430 years. Um, but anyways, eventually, the um, temple would be in Jerusalem. So the family of Kohath, from whom the high priest would come, they knew, well, they needed to be close to Jerusalem because that's where they would work. So God, even ahead of time, was cutting down their commute. Verse 43, and we're going to read these last couple verses. And then I've got a few things to share. Um, oh, yeah, nope, I have one more map, but don't go there yet, I think. Verse 43 of chapter 21. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house 
of Israel. All came to pass. Oh, I love that verse. I love that verse. God fulfilled his promises to the people. Nothing failed of what God said he would do. The promise was originally made to Abraham 500 plus years before this. It was reiterated to Isaac. It was reiterated to Jacob. And then to Moses, who couldn't enter the land. But here we see that God kept his promises to Israel. He is still keeping his promises to Israel. The next map shows the original land they inherited. The black borders are the land Israel occupies today. Notice. They got pretty much everything God told them they would have. Remember all those different spots, the places yet to be conquered? If you put these maps next to each other, you'll go, wait a second. Those borders are really close. God keeps his word. So you can put up the last slide. This was just to keep him with our theme. I have a few verses that I want to share with you as we close tonight about God's word. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Do you know what that verse really means to us? A, that when God makes us a promise, he'll keep it. How many promises do we have in here? Promises concerning our salvation, our forgiveness. How about promises about the return of Christ? What that also is, is a promise to us that when we share God's word with people, maybe it's by giving them a track. Maybe it's by reciting John 3.16. Maybe it's by simply telling them that God loves them and wants them to know his son and be saved. However it is that we share his word, God is going to use it. It will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he pleases, and it will prosper in the thing for which he sent it. Well, you might say, but that's Isaiah 55.11. That's Old Testament. That's a long time ago. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. So Jesus said, you want to know all the stuff that I said? All the stuff that's written in the Old Testament? All of it, every last bit will come to pass. None of it's going away. Now some of it he fulfilled, and there's a whole lot of it that we're waiting on. And you think, boy, you're, you're really talking a lot about the word of God. Should we really hold it in that high of an esteem? Psalm 138.2, I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and your truth. For you have magnified your word above your name. I want you to consider that truth for a moment. Jesus was given the name above every name according to Philippians chapter 2 and several other places. In Psalm 119 verse 9, we're told holy and awesome is his name. But God, right, not us, but God has magnified his word above his name. Now I'm not telling you that we should worship this book Right, the letter and the, and, the, and the pages that are comprising, but the truth that it contains. God 
has magnified that truth even above his name. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are saved. Yet he honors and magnifies his word above his own name and tells us that his word will never fail. Now, with that being the case, what should we do with this book? Well, we should study it. We should cherish it. We should memorize it. We should meditate on it. We should obey it. We should proclaim it. We should believe it, trust it, hold to it. Because it is the very word of God. So now I'm going to ask, why did they fail? Because we know, right, we have hindsight. We have that whole 2020 hindsight. We know the next five, 600 years of Israel's history. They never claimed all the land that was given to them. And they failed to the point that God used the Assyrians for the northern kingdom and the Babylonians for the southern kingdom to expel them from the land. So the question is, why? And I want you to turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 4. And now we're going to study this when we get to the book of Hebrews, once we're done with James on Sunday mornings. But Hebrews chapter 4 tells us why and gives us a warning so that we don't suffer the same fate. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, thou shall, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Verse 4. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Remember, as this was being written, they didn't have chapter and verse yet. Since therefore it remains, verse 6, that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. You see, God will never fail us. However, it is possible for a promise of God to not come to fruition in our lives because we fail to enter that promise or to claim it. Consider the promise of salvation. The Bible tells us whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what happens if a person doesn't call on the name of the Lord? Does that void God's promise? No. That person failed to enter God's promise. God did not fail to keep it. That person failed to enter it. So if a person does not call on the name of the Lord, they will not be saved. But I can guarantee, because of what the Word of God says, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. The Israelites failed to take everything that God promised them. This is not a failure on God's part, but on the people of Israel. And we will see the consequences of that failure when we get into the book of Judges in a couple weeks. We should not be satisfied in our walk with the Lord until we have 
all he has for us. There were three things listed in that passage in Hebrews. One, they failed to enter in for a lack of faith. Two, they failed to enter in because of disobedience. Three, they failed to enter in because they hardened their hearts. So we trust the Lord. By the power of his Holy Spirit, we obey his word. And we don't harden our hearts against him. And we keep moving forward in the power that he gives us, never satisfied until we have all that he has for us. Psalm 117, verse 15 says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. When I woke up this morning, I wasn't exactly like Jesus. And there's been several moments throughout today where that was um, <clears throat> amplified. So I'm not going to be satisfied in my walk with the Lord. I'm not going to say, oh, yep, I've gone far enough. I've studied the Bible enough. I've preached enough sermons. I've shared the gospel with enough people. I've prayed it. I've got enough hours of prayer under my belt. I'm just going to sit back and relax and wait till I die. Uh -uh. I will not be satisfied until I awake in his likeness, until I am like Christ. Not perfect. I can't be perfect. I'm always going to fall short. But I can keep moving closer. Next week, we will finish the book of Joshua. Lord willing, and the crick don't rise. Uh, we'll see the eastern tribes return to their land. There's a big misunderstanding that took place as a result of the eastern tribes building an altar to the Lord. Uh, then we'll look at Joshua's farewell address to the nation of Israel. Until then, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your great love for us demonstrated by sending your son and offering us salvation through his sacrifice and resurrection. Father, help us to learn from the Israelites and from your word that we would not fail to enter into all that you have for us. Father, please strengthen us. Pour out your grace and Holy Spirit upon us. You, would, you have offered us victory in Christ, Lord. Please help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name.